Welcome to Facilitating the Mission, the podcast of Shepherd Staff Mission Facilitators. My name is Brian Mondot. And I am Jeff Jackson. Hey, Jeff. I have got to tell you that I have loved just talking about the origins of Shepherd Staff. And the part I really enjoyed was, was how your church cared for you while you were in the Philippines and how that benefited you as a missionary and how that experience was sort of the sort of the incubator for shepherd staff and you didn't even know it but what i and 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 so we learned how that model benefited the you as a missionary your family as a missionary family and you know subsequently other missionary families that have since signed on with shepherd staff but what i'm really curious about is what that experience was like number 1 for your church as a body, caring and sending a missionary, sending and caring for a missionary. Mm-hmm. And then number two, you know, the church in general, what is the benefit? I mean, I mean, obviously you've been given the great commission, but you know, the one thing that kind of leaves me a little frustrated with the Bible, forgive me, Lord. <laughs> hey, hey, you can't express frustration with the Bible, brother. What are you doing? <laughs> is that we're given yeah. commands, but we're not always, we, we, we know that <laughs> with these commands come tremendous blessing, but yes. those blessings aren't always spelled out at the same time as the commands are spelled out. But no, sitting in the seat that you're in now with yeah. the experience that you have, the relationships that you have, and um, sort of this, this way of looking back long view through the rear view. Um, what are the benefits for churches as they send missionaries from their congregations? That is a really, really good question. And and where I sit now, you know, with the long view, it's uh, it's. Let, let me just start off by saying churches that haven't experienced that yet are depriving themselves of one of the most important, I think, ingredients. Uh, one of the most important resources that God has put at their disposal for them to be mature. And so, yeah, I, I just think, you know, when I when I went out, you know, my as I think I said in the story, my pastor said, hey, you know, we clearly see your, your the call on your life and we're going to send you and Helen and the kids, but set up a, a structure that is going to send others because we we want to do this. We want to be engaged in what God's doing around the world, you know, long after you're, you're gone and doing what God's called you to do. And so, you know, having that thumbs up gave me the freedom to, to really explore, you know, how do you, how do you ascend and how do you ascend well? And, but, but in, in that, I didn't, I didn't experience, I didn't know up front because I, I hadn't done it yet, obviously, that it actually would benefit that body in incredible ways. Um, and and so sort of the the I, I think the undergirding thought you know in my mind in this whole concept of the benefit to the church that sends their own to the field, it's it's really just the latest or another expression of the way God's designed interdependency. You know the tri the true God that we serve lives in triunity, and you know and then you have you know you have the first man and the first woman created, and this idea that we're not. You know, we're not just these individuals making decisions disconnected from from other things, but this idea that it's us, it's we're we're in this together. And so, when when a church has some of its own members 
get the call from God to go, it's a body thing. And so much of what God's developed hinges on reciprocity. There, there's a kind of a 10 cent word that, I, that I've, I've been using more and more, the whole concept of reciprocity. When, when a church sends, it's not just, hey, what's taking place on the field and in that missionary. That body that sends is being exercised and moving towards maturity and health. Does that make sense? Yeah, that really makes sense. You know, the everything that I feel like I've learned from you about missions goes back to the to the concept of the triune God. And one of the things that I've kind of I don't know I don't know if it's a struggle or a wrestle, but just trying to work through is that as a church we're always making sure we have the right theology about the trinity the triunity of god which we have we don't we have like almost zero capacity to really understand <laughs> <Exactly>. yeah <laughs> the yeah. concept yeah but we're we're so insistent about having the right the right concept the right theology right but but what we don't do is imitate the relationship in, that that we see between father son and holy spirit and how they continually 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 point to the other yes you, you none of them you know the buck stops with none of them right you know it's this continual where in our dynamic as you know fallen creatures i i think it's because we're fallen creatures we got to find somebody that the buck stops with mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and so even even when we do missions or pro any kind of programs we do we do it so that the church is built up and more and more people come to our church. And I, and I think that th that's where we, we, we find ourselves missing out on the benefits of mm -hmm. sending missionaries. Is that too convoluted of a recap? No, no, I don't think, but it does, it does, you know, beg a lot of deep questions <laughs> and, and which, which need a lot of deep answers that we don't, really have time to go into here, but, <laughs> but, but the thing of it is, you know, to me, I mean, if you think about it, you, you think about the triune God, right? So now uh -huh. you, you think that he's, he is the missionary God. And, and the way we know that is he sends his son. So, so one member of the Trinity becomes a missionary, crosses the greatest geographic, cultural, existential boundaries ever to step into the foreign world that, or to the world that he created, which is now fallen, but he's sent, he's sent by the father and the son. And, and so he, the son is certainly, you know, is, is changed in that process and he's going to benefit from being sent properly by the father and by the spirit. And he's going to bring great benefit to those that he comes to uh, certainly while he's here but then you have the father making statements about this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And so in some way, there was a reciprocal blessing or benefit or pleasure uh, through the son's obedience in, in the father and the spirit who sent him. And the spirit has now, because Jesus has come and has basically lived out God in the flesh, the spirit and, and has taught things, the spirit has this opportunity to bring to mind in people uh, what Jesus himself taught. So, so even if you, if you look at this whole idea of reciprocity, intermutuality, uh, interdependence, uh, mutuality, 
uh, you know, the sending of the sun sort of should should give us an indicator that if and, you know, and again, if you're not used to thinking along these levels, you don't. But if you think of it from the level of, hey, the sun's coming as awesome as he was loved on and cared for and sent well, there was a, a reciprocal benefit to the father and the spirit in having sent him. And the father now, the father now can relate, you might say, to having a son that's sent. Uh, so when a home church sends one of their own to the field, where at great cost, you know, to 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 do this, there there's a benefit in experientialism and so forth that that the church gets by sending their own and caring for them. The whole idea of that Jesus came as as you said, and the, he was sent by the Father and equipped in the Spirit, then he turns around and sends his followers. Yeah, exactly. I mean, And so it's not that the church is sending. I mean, it's the, the church is sending, but it's yeah. the church is doing what Jesus did, which was sent. Yeah, exactly. And, and that's where you have that, that really fascinating two verses there in Acts 13 at Antioch. So, you know, and basically it says— uh, that they they like the church laid hands on them and sent Paul and and Barnabas out on the first missionary journey and the next line says so being sent out by the Spirit, right? So okay, well who sent Paul and Barnabas out? Well the church did. No, but who sent Paul and Barnabas out? Well the Spirit did. Yeah, exactly. So you get though that 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 hey this is more than just the efforts of of one one entity. This is a this is one entity in combination empowered by guided by another entity the spirit of god carrying that out so yeah it's really it's it's really fascinating stuff and deep stuff but you know i i remember years ago robertson mcquook and we talked we've you know we've talked about him quite a bit and back in the day when there were uh, there was there was a couple of controversial books out um that came out that basically the premises of the books were Hey, Americans, especially West Westerners and Americans, you know, don't need to go to the mission field anymore. You know, stay. It costs so much money to send an American. You know, blah blah blah. Stay home and send money. God's bless you with money. Stay home, send money. Let the nationals who have minimal barriers to cross culturally, minimal barriers to cross linguistically, let them do the work. And and there's there's all kinds of faulty thinking in that, which we don't have time to explore. It's been it, it's been you know debunked a, a thousand times over. Um, but it, it, but it's continually, continually presenting itself. It's continually presenting itself. And and one of the things that McQuilkin did was he would reference the idea of, especially I think it was during the Civil War, where if you were from a wealthy family and you were called on, you know, you know, you had a son of age to be drafted into the war, you had enough money and enough connections, you could get somebody to serve for your son. So you didn't have to send a family member into battle, and so he he kind of you know uses that terminology, and he and his his ba- you know the basic premise of what he was saying was no, listen, we have to send our own, and and when we send our own, you know now we're invested in in what's taking place out there. We're going to care more about what's taking place out there because we got some skin in the game, you might say, literally, <laughs> right, and so. So a lot of times when we think about missions, we think about churches sending missionaries. And, and of course, our focus is that the missionaries are sent well. And, and we spent a lot of time talking about that and have developed a ton of resources to try to make that happen. But we haven't spent as much time, which is why I'm glad you, you're bringing this up, on, hey, what does the church benefit from when it sends its own? 
there, there are certain experiences that you just can't have unless you've got a family member involved in it. Right. You know, and then you get into relational dynamics, you get into cultural dynamics. You know, I remember even to try to, you know, slip over into the, uh, not to get too American patriotic or anything, but the idea like during the first Gulf War and the second Gulf War and so forth were churches that had members of the church that were in the armed forces and now they were sent, you know, into battle. Their pictures would be in, you know, in the lobbies of a lot of churches. And, right, and the bulletins right. pray for our members that are in battle, you know, overseas because, hey, that's a big deal. That person's over there doing something that matters, something self-sacrificial, something that needs certainly to be bathed in prayer. And there's a benefit to the church by doing that. What I found interesting is a lot of times those guys and, you know, as well they should and, and having, you know, both of us been in the military, we get this. You know, it's nice to have people aware of what they're doing and pray for them. But a lot of times those same churches didn't have the same emphasis on their missionaries. I think one of the cool things that uh, when I was uh, serving at a, a big church in um, South Florida was we had this we had this wall of missionaries. Mm-hmm. And that was, you know, that was to send the messages that this is what this church does. It sends. And it was a it was a mega church. And so, you know, there's there's this you know, a lot of people, a lot of smaller churches look at mega churches thinking, well, they're just trying to make everybody, you know, come there. And this church wanted to, wanted to make sure people knew that, you know, yeah, there's a lot of people that come here, but they come here so they can be sent. And so we had that wall of missionaries. And then there was some, some controversy as church programming started to change mm-hmm. and, <laughs> And it was like, well, we've just had that mission. We've just had that wall for so long, and we just need something else to look at. Man, that there was a lot of pushback, yeah. you know, in that. It's like yeah. because that's 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 an identity. That's who you are. We we send, yeah. And so that, like I said, it caused a lot of controversy, and you know, I think justifiably, and I think that it's the you know th- those kinds of conversations must be had, yeah. you know. Is this about aesthetics or is this about equipping? Yeah. And, and I, I think what it does is, is, you know, is it communicate? I mean, we're, we can, you know, we're going to progressively get in more into like specifics of the benefits of the church that sends their own. But I think, uh, you know, a sort of at, at, at an umbrella level uh, overseeing all that is the idea that when you send your own, to the field, it communicates to everybody here that we're part of something larger than ourselves. Uh-huh, that, uh-huh. that you know, yeah, our church matters and we want our church to grow and we want to impact our community, but we're part of this larger thing that God is doing. And, and you know, I, I even think about in Colossians 1, where Paul's talking about, you know, he's telling the Colossian church, a church he had not visited at that point when he writes the letter. And he's, he's basically saying, hey, you know, what God's doing in you, he's doing in so many other places. So so Paul thought it was beneficial uh, and important for the Colossian church to know that as awesome as what God is doing there and the lives he's changing there, hey, he's doing that in a lot of other places. You're part of this bigger thing that God's doing. And and we can get such tunnel vision just the way we're wired and, and the country we live in and our culture and our neighborhood and our own individual lives that 
that we forget, hey, we're our, we are part of this larger thing. We can get so myopic in that thinking that we think that if we if God moves us out of that, that we've left the movement of God, or actually the people inside of it think, well, God's moving only here. That's exactly right. Yeah. And so our goal is to get everybody to come here. And and then we 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 cut ourselves off from the reality. Hey, this is our, our our God's a missionary God. He's working around the world, and we have a place to a role to play in that. You know, and well, one one last thought. You know, it reminds me of uh, World War II. You know, when you read, I'm I'm kind of a World War II buff, and so you know, you read about what took place in America when we finally engaged in the war, and like everybody, you know, all of the manufacturing plants, all the car companies converted over to making war material and. And then, you know, all the men were gone. So the women went into the workforce, you know, R- Rosie the Riveter and all that kind of stuff. And and what was so interesting was, um, man, um, as I get older, there's certain words just that I, that I want to have, they're not there. Come up with the word for me where every, everybody sacrificially uh, gives up something. Austere, austerity. Um, oh, austerity. austerity. Okay, and, yeah. and the idea was, you know, every American wanted to, to give towards the cause of the great, of the war. And so, so yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to use, I'm only going to use a half a pound of sugar this week. Uh, we're, the government's rationing everything. So I'm willing to sacrificially give up uh, how much sugar I use, how much I drive my car, how much gas I can buy, because that's my contribution to the war effort. And that's where bonds, you know, they sold bonds for people that had money. They wanted to contribute to the war effort without going, they had money. So they would have a bond, you know, bond efforts. And so, there, yeah, and and so so austerity is possible. It's only possible. Well, it's not only possible, but austerity is primarily possible when what you're voluntarily giving up, when you're living austerely, because there's this greater cause that you're helping further by your austerity. And when the church does that, when the church says to its its mem- its existing members, we've got one of our own. He serves a role in this church. They serve a role in this church. They're an integral part of your family. Um, they're moving to another country by God's command. So we're we're feeling a loss as they go, not just in their presence, but in how they serve here. We're willing to take our money and, and burn up some of our time and so forth to, to get behind them and make sure they're successful over there. We're part of this bigger cause that God's doing. I think, I think that's healthy. I, I think that 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 there's a form of health, uh, a form of nutrition that that gives that can't be duplicated any other way. And you know, it's it's like unless you have that kind of narrative or that kind of goal or that kind of mission, austerity doesn't make sense. No, it doesn't. Well, and 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 that's where, gosh, I'm probably going to shoot myself in the foot on this one, but that's where again our hyper individualistic culture. It, it it finds other reasons, self selfish reasons for austerity, and you know what? You want to know what I think? And I'm again, I'm I'm going to say this, but I'm probably going to get, I mean, I'm going to have some arguments with some friends. The whole CrossFit thing, the whole the whole CrossFit thing is all about self denial, self sacrifice, austerity for what purpose? Me. <laughs> help me so so you know you can pra- you can buy into austerity if your austerity is to help you feel better about yourself and that's the danger in that whole crossfit realm is it scratches spiritual itches but it scratches them 
with imitation that doesn't ultimately satisfy, glorify God or serve other people. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll raise your, <laughs> your risk there a little bit. <laughs> you got all these, you got all these. These folks, ah. uh, you know, they look they look like Navy SEALs, but then they go and work as accountants yeah. and you know web web developers and marketers yeah. like me. And I'm, and and they're more committed. <laughs> they're committed to cross. They're more committed to CrossFit. It's like a religion for them. It's a spiritual thing for them. But the, but it's a spiritual thing. The people that I know that are really into it, it's a spiritual thing for their own personal fulfillment. Yeah, I don't want to rag on them too much, but it, we could have a lot of fun with that. We could. Yeah. <laughs> well, let me, let me, there's, I wrote a note when you first started okay. to kind of unpack, yeah. and, we, and we have talked about this a little bit, but it always just comes up, comes to my mind, especially when we're talking about benefits to the yes. church, and it has to do with obedience, and it has to do with you know, God's program versus the church right. program. And what I wrote down was, I'm going to ha- ask you to unpack this a little bit because I learned this from you, was is uh, cent- centripetal, centripetal, centripetal versus centrifugal. Uh, yeah. So the, the basic concept of that, and that, that wasn't me. I mean, I, I, first, I pronu- first pronounce yeah. the words, first <laughs> pronounce the words properly. Okay. So the first one, most people are familiar with centrifugal. F-U-G-A-L after the centra. So centrifugal, centrifugal force. And we're all familiar with that. When you go to the little playground and you got the thing that spins around and, and as you spin it around, it's a, it's, there's a force that forces things outward. Oh, like the little merry-go-round thing. Yeah. The little merry-go-round things. And so you get in the center, as you spin that around, a centrifugal force is like force that's moving outward from a center point as, as it moves in circles. The other, the other one is is centripetal, with uh, so it's a uh, century and then p e t a l, and that idea is that it's 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 a force that moves towards the center, instead of instead of going outward from a center point, it's it's points moving all together towards a central focus, a center point, and so back in the day, you know, we we a lot of guys, uh, missions theologians, if they look at Israel. The missionary God, he created Israel, and and Israel, his methodology was centripetal. The idea was uh, God's going to be present among a specific group of people at a specific location on the planet in Israel, and then there's the temple there and all this stuff. And so the call was for the nations to come. So when Solomon dedicates the temple, the first temple in in Second Chronicles six, and he and on his prayer in that dedication is that. Uh, when when the stranger and the foreigner hear of your great name and come to this place because of your great name, hear their prayer and answer them. And as they go home, they'll take your name. And so the idea being that with Israel, God's methodology was to be in a specific people in a specific location, loving all people, but but calling people to come to where he was at in the presence of his people. In the New Testament, when God becomes man, when Jesus steps into the picture, he creates this new entity to represent him called the body of Christ. And instead of inviting the nations to come, he tells the body to go. Thanks for joining us today for this podcast. Tune in on Tuesday, October 15th to hear part two of this series. 